Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. They haven't been showing out, they've been dumping out, is what they've been doing. <laughs> On the you, were wait, you were waiting to tell that. You were just waiting for that one right that. there. He used the phrase showing up. So I can do that. Uh, it's, gotten, it's written on a sticky note on his exactly. laptop. Welcome back to Royals Weekly. I am your host, Marcus Mead. And joining me as always, the man who invented taking it sleazy, my brother, Mike. You know what? And they're never going to give me credit for that. Uh, and it's you a know. shame. I feel like yeah. Will Smith stole it from you as part of his Jazzy <laughs> Jeff, uh, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air thing. Like he, you know, steals things from a lot of people, stole the face skin off of Chris Rock. And then now he's stealing Take It Sleazy from you. So, you know. <laughs> the inside just... of his right hand took some face skin from Chris Rock. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so unfair. When will you get the credit you deserve is what I I'm know. asking. I know. Anyway, we're going to start this week off by reminding everyone, and I mean everyone, if you can hear this, this means you to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast right now. Pause the episode and go subscribe, rate, and review. It's very important to us. It helps us tremendously. We haven't had a review in a while, and frankly, it's making Mike sad. He's crying. He's drinking. He hasn't bathed for days. And and while that may sound like normal Mike behavior, it's actually masking great sadness. So please cheer him up, subscribe, rate, and review us. It's how I get my self-worth. Yeah, out of those likes. It's all about them clicks. We're we're 21st century men. It's all about the it's the thumbs up that we really mm-hmm. approve. So go out there and give us the five stars. Give us an excellent, interesting, funny review. We'll read it on the show. We'll have a nice laugh. We'll talk about we'll it. We'll let you be the star. Yeah, you get to be the star of the show when, when you give us a review. So go ahead and throw it out there. We'll, we're happy to hear it. If it's negative, maybe we don't read it. Maybe we do if it's funny enough. Who knows? <laughs> but, you know, give it a shot. See what happens. Take your shot. We'll start our weekly review with roster news, as we often do. The Royals have sent down most of the guys who are going to be in the minor leagues to start the year. That includes Nick Prado, MJ Melendez, and Vinny Pasquantino. Just today, they also sent down Angel Zerpa, who I think a lot of people were hoping might be like a dark horse candidate to make the pitching staff. The Royals' weekly roster projection from last week is still in order, so we're all good there, everybody. Mike and I can still tell people we're right up to this yeah. point, which is mm-hmm. really the drug that we crave is it's telling people that we were thing. right. Oh, yeah. oh, on my gravestone, I just wanted to say, I told you, I, I told you so <laughs> I was right, you know, not pals, not friends, or he was a loved. No, no, just, I was right. Yeah. That's and if you get the say. pals reference, uh, make sure you mention that in your review because yeah, we only oh, want yeah. people who get that reference. <laughs> <laughs> no, we need a much larger audience than the people who get that reference. Uh, so yes, but <laughs> Uh, yeah, we, our projection is still in order. If you want to go listen to it, go listen to last week's episode where we talk about who's, who we think is going to make the 28 man roster, but they are whittling it down. It's almost ready. Mike, how do you feel about how it's shaking out the 28 man roster up to this point? Well, it's pretty much what I expected. Um, the bullpen's still going to be kind of interesting because I think Colin Snyder has kind of made somewhat of a push or at least a showcase for, uh, that he has a tiny inkling of a chance of making the bullpen, uh, especially since some some of the other guys that we really thought were going to be in there have really underperformed. And I'm talking about guys on the back end 
Uh, I think we kind of know what Scott Barlow is going to be. We pretty much know that Josh Stamatz can can be effective, Brands as well. But there's some of those guys, the Payomps and the those other guys, that have, the Tapias that have just not shown uh, a whole lot that says that they're going to be good. So uh, Colin Snyder has looked pretty good. So I will say that something. those guys also really don't have to show over. They're veteran relievers. They're guys that the Royals are probably going to use anyway. So they don't have to go out and show out in spring training like somebody like Snyder does. I think Snyder's really helped his case a lot. But I also think that they prize inventory so much that they're not going to, you know, DFA, Tapia, or yeah. Payops in order to get Snyder on the 28 man. And they haven't been showing out. They've been dumping out is what they've been doing. <laughs> On the you were, wait, you were waiting to tell that. You were just waiting for that one right there. Can you use the phrase showing up so I can do that? Uh, He's gotten, it's written on a sticky note on his laptop. Exactly. Right and, and then, of course, the Royals have 40-man issues as well, so I don't know that that lends to Colin Snyder. Sn- Snyder on is on the – remember, Snyder oh, is he on, on the 40-man because okay. they, they protected him from the Rule 5 draft before we knew there wasn't going to be one. I forgot about so that. Yeah, I remember was a little surprised at that move. Yeah, yeah. He's cleared that hurdle, and he has looked really good this spring. And so, you know, it wouldn't – so he's definitely getting time in the bullpen this year. That's going to happen. But he wasn't really good at AAA last year. He got roughed up pretty bad. So it wouldn't surprise me if they want him to go down prove it at AAA and then be on deck and be ready for the inevitable injury that will come or ineffectiveness or whatever. And then it'll be his turn. I think he's next reliever up, honestly. Yeah. Uh, and then the other thing that kind of makes me happy, I guess, about that situation or content is now I know those three guys, Melendez, Prado and, and Pasquantino. Now I know that they'll get at bats every day. I don't have to sit there and watch Carlos Santana in the lineup every day when Prado and Pasquantino are sitting on the bench over there. That would yeah. really make my blood boil. I was a little surprised that Zerpa got sent to double A. Um, I know he pitched in double A last year. I thought they just might naturally move him up a level. He didn't do very well at double A. So maybe that's he did why not. <laughs> he did quite poorly at double A. He had an ERA almost of six yeah, uh, in like 13, in like 13 starts at double A Northwest Arkansas last year. We forget because he did well in his one start in the majors and that he's looked decent this spring but let's be honest you need bigger sample sizes than that if he hasn't mastered the double a level that might just say something more about where he's at now a lot of those numbers are pretty inflated from double a they're home run inflated is what they are and so if you normalize his home run rates which is a a stat called xfip which is just stands for like adjusted fielding independent pitching and they adjust for like a normalized home run rate then he has his that number goes way way down and so you know, he, I think he's going to be okay in a second go around in double A. I think he'll be up quickly to triple A and sort of on deck to take starts later in the year. But yeah, he's a guy, Zerpa and Pasquantino, who people sort of thought were dark horse candidates, maybe to make the roster since they were left in major league camp longer. But that was always kind of a pipe dream. That was never going to happen. The Royals aren't going to, one, they're not going to take Pasquantino and have him jump Nick Prado. They're not going to do that to Nick Prado, I don't think. Prado's going to have to struggle mightily in triple A in order to be like sort of jumped over by Pasquantino, I think. And so they're, they, they've they invested a lot in Nick Prado. They've sort of, you know, been there for him and that sort of thing. I don't think they're going to do that to him. Next shot at first base in the, at the major league level goes to Nick Prado if he doesn't struggle mightily at AAA. But they're both going to, I think, eventually make it to the major leagues. If not this year, then at the beginning of next year. Pasquantino is tougher because... There's just no spots. He can only play first base in DH and there aren't a ton of spots available. Oh, but for what, now, what, sorry, what did you think about them saying they were going to try Prado and Melendez in the outfield? 
Well, that's what I wanted to mention. They are going to play. I'm not surprised at all. And you and I have been talking about them doing this because we know it's going to be so, so difficult. If they don't trade Pasquantino, it's going to be a friggin' Rubik's cube getting him and Prado and Melendez in the same lineup, especially with Salvador Perez still there. And so it's going to have to be something like Prado gets some time in left and right field. Melendez gets some time in left and right field and third base and DH, you know, these guys are going to have to play different positions. Pasquantino can't, he does not athletic enough to play the outfield. And so, but Prado Melendez, Melendez definitely is. He's in my mind, the best athlete of the three, he can kind of run. And so it wouldn't surprise me if he gets some time in right or left field and looks average, which is good enough or slightly below average, which is good enough with his projected bat. And they, they, they're, I guess the positive thing is Prado is not a plotter. He's a good base runner. He's not terrible. He, for, for terrible first slow baseman, for first you wouldn't baseman. say, yeah. And then both of them, even Prado, Prado and Melendez, both have good arms. So you're not worried about that there. Pasquantino is just way too slow to play anything but first base or DH. And so, uh, yeah, I, I, if they get that work, okay, I'm, I'm okay with that. It would not surprise me yeah, if Melendez solves, ends up a roughly average left fielder. Yeah, it doesn't solve your center field problem in the outfield, which is your biggest one long term, but it does add some somewhat depth to your outfield, which is really lacking that at the lower levels. You know, we, we talk about Olivares and, and Isbell, and you, you hope that they're very good, but I don't know that you're resting your hat on those two guys long term, even at the corners. So um, it, it'd be nice to add some depth there as well. And if you get depth at the corners, you give yourself the opportunity to do something like trade guys like Olivares if you want to, and, and, and make them part of trade packages to get other things that you need right now. It looks like they might ultimately need some starting pitching help eventually. And so, you know, all you're doing is really helping get those guys in the lineup by having them play at different positions. Now they've said that Melendez will catch four days a week and then play some right field and third base and things like that. Prado is going to be the same. He's mostly going to play first, but he is going to play some outfield too. That's great. They need to, we need to know whether or not they can do that because if they can, things get a lot more interesting for what this lineup could look like come midpoint in the season or the second half of the season. The team also announced the first four starters of the year for the Royals. So we have the first four spots in the rotation filled at this point. They'll start with Zach Granke, followed by Brad Keller, Chris Bubich, and then Carlos Hernandez. No singer or Lynch or Kowar announced yet. Mike, what do you make of how the rotation is shaking out right now? Well, I, it seems pretty, you know, normal. The only small surprise for me was that Singer wasn't in that group of the first four, that he's not going in that first series. Um, he's got more starting experience than Bubich and Hernandez do, but he has struggled some integrating a fourth pitch, commanding his fastball. Um, sorry, third pitch, not fourth. Well, if he had a third, that'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're asking for the world to get him to get to three. My yeah, bad. Like, um, and it's the, the one tidbit that I also threw in here. It's kind of interesting that we're playing the Guardians to start off. To, we're playing Cleveland to start off because way back when, two years ago, when they were still the Indians, he almost no hit them. In eight innings, he gave up a single hit in his first year starting. And you thought, man, and that was the start that made you think a lot of promise here. And then, of course, he hasn't really capitalized on that in, in last year and, and moving forward. So a little bit surprised about the singer thing. But other than that, nothing. Yeah, I think Singer and Lynch are going to be the, the the back two of a six-man rotation. A lot of people have been predicting that for the Royals. We did as well in our roster thing. What? They, uh, uh, who was it? I can't remember if it was Piccolo or Matheny today said something pretty hinting at five-man rotation. Okay, so maybe they have stick- five, and then he said we're going to have two that are stretched out behind them. Oh, like, okay. okay, what's that mean? Yeah, it so sounds it- to me like they're going five-man rotation, and then 
another starter or two will be on the in the will be on the roster that will kind of plug into places when guys can only go two or three innings. Okay, so frankly, I would be shocked if Singer is in the rotation. A little shocked. What I wouldn't be shocked about is if they send him to AAA. Uh, that would not have shocked me. I don't think they're going to do that, but like that would not have shocked me. He needs more work on the changeup and he needs to find his fastball command. And right now, if we're thinking about like, did he earn a spot in spring training? Not really. He didn't look good. Neither did Hernandez, neither did Lynch really. Kowar looked only okay. Bubich is the only one of that group who stood out during spring training. But it was interesting to see that they're not automatically giving Singer a spot in this rotation, it looks like. So we'll see how things sort of shake out moving forward. I don't think it'd be the worst thing in the world for him to piggyback starts. That's fine. Or to be a long person uh, to get some confidence in that changeup and that fastball, but he needs something to push him forward and say, you need to start commanding this fastball. You need to start throwing the changeup a lot or not a lot, but enough. And I've actually been encouraged by that. I want to say that yes, singers numbers haven't looked great, but I am actually encouraged that he can be the pitcher he thought we thought he could be now. Now that I've seen that change up a bunch in spring training, it's been fairly effective. It's his fastball command that has been killing him. He has been walking a ton of guys and missing with that fastball all spring. It makes me wonder if adding the changeup has somewhat affected that fastball command a little bit. It, the changeup is a feel pitch. So when you've got that sort of thing going, you have to feel it. It may change how you do things a little bit. I don't think it's changing his mechanics or his arm angle or anything like that, but it, it messes with the way you grip a baseball. And so, or it could be mental. Yes. You could be right there. Mark's pointing to his tiny pea brain. All right. It could be mental. Okay. Um, but I, when I, you know, when I, I watch him pitch, it looks like he's aiming his fastball. It looks like he's trying to be too fine with it, too perfect with it. And it's, I mean, it's making it so that it's, he's not even near the strike zone with it sometimes. And when he is near the strike zone, it's three Oh, and he's got a lob one right down Broadway. Yeah. And I, to be clear, I think singer is going to be the guy that starts the next series. Um, I think they're probably just giving him a little bit more time to work on some things uh, maybe one, he gets one more side in or something like that. Uh, to work on that fastball command. But I think he'll, I think they're going to defer to him. He'll end up going. I think that'll put Lynch in a situation where he's the guy who's maybe getting a spot start for dudes uh, here and there as they kind of rotate through the series. Yeah, that's interesting. Well, we'll get to reviewing the actual week of baseball that just took place. Uh, most of us didn't get to see most of these games because they weren't broadcast on television in any way, but the Royals went three and three this week with wins against the guardians, Mariners and A's and losses against the giants, Padres and Mariners. Not that those even matter at spring training, but more importantly, there were some nice performances out there. Mike, who impressed you in camp this week? It was good to see Salvador Perez get back on it. Uh, you know, he's a vet, so you're not worried about him or anything, uh, but he had probably his best week in camp so far, four hits out of 12 and 12 at bats, all were extra base hits. He did even have a walk. So it was good to see him start to hit the ball really hard. Yeah, I, I, we needed him to start picking it up or I was going to start being like, oh, no. Uh, and so, yeah, he H-Con, did pick it up. No, <laughs> no, we need you. Um, yeah, so it was great to see him get back on it. He looked like he's hitting the ball hard, and that's great. Uh, Kyle Isbell was the guy that I thought really showed out in camp this week. He's making that push. He really wants to be on the major league team, you can tell. Um, but the thing that I'm looking at is more mechanical than anything. And so – Early in camp, I noticed they were trying to bust him in with fastballs and he was having trouble getting his hands through, turning on them and hitting hitting them into right field. He did a little better job of that this week as I watched other guys sort of throw him fastballs inside. They weren't super hard fastballs, I don't think. They're not 98, but he was turning 94, 95 around on the inside. And that's huge for him because 
If they think they can just jam him in there, that's all they're going to do. That's all he's going to see are inside fastballs. And he really needs to be able to sort of pull the bat in, hit the ball over second base or into right field, or and they're just going to or they're just going to keep busting it in. He, he all he could do is get weak contact from that. He needs to be able to put the barrel on it and get solid contact from those inside fastballs. Yeah, and and he has great plate coverage. He can cover the outside half of the plate really, really well. He does stand very, very close to the plate. And so with guys like that, they tend to get busted in hard. But I think his swing kind of lends itself. So last year when he was in the major in the majors for a while and struggled, they were off speed down and in to him, just killed him. He swung over the top of it all the time. And they still want to do that to him some, but it seems like he's made some adjustment. When they come in with a fastball, he can definitely put it in play. And he seems to be at least avoiding swinging at those pitches, if not fouling them off a little bit more. He he has sometimes, because the way he swings, it just naturally, it will miss that down and in off-speed pitch most of the time. But sometimes he can get a swing on it and get a little flare to left. And yeah. that, that tends to be good for him. Well, so. he, he's actually, he had a home run on a down and in slider. Uh, I want to say four or five games ago, maybe now, uh, earlier in the week. He can make that adjustment. Yeah, it was big. It was a big thing to see. I was like, oh, wow, he actually got over top of this ball and golfed it out of here like that. That's interesting. Like and so, yeah, he's really looked a lot better this spring and he looks like he could just be a huge help to the team making a case for actually make. And they announced today that or they didn't announce, but Piccolo sort of came out and said, like, you know, we're fine keeping Kyle Isbell in the major leagues and him not starting every single day. We're fine getting him, rotating him in and that sort of thing. And so they don't think it's going to hinder his development. And so that was sort of a signal that it looks like Kyle Isbell might make this team or is going to make this team. And boy, that's really exciting for me. I want to see him rotated in a lot. I don't want to see him rotting on the bench, but he has just so much potential to help the team. Not everybody had a great week this week. And so we're going to talk a little bit about the people who didn't look so great. Mike, who's on your list of the pe- person who did not look great this week? Well, I put Amir Garrett on here, but it, it could have been several relievers that I, that I went with because some relievers had some struggles this week, uh, but he had two and a third. Uh, he gave up four hits and three earned runs in that time, partly due to a home run. And so he, he didn't look great. He did have five strikeouts though. I was, I was uh, happy to see that again. I didn't see any of this stuff because they don't put the damn games on TV. Um, so it's hard to tell a little bit, but from the numbers, uh, Amir Garrett did struggle. Yeah, you could say that actually, not just about the the bullpen. Most of the starting rotation struggled this week, except for Chris Bubich. It was another rough week for the starting rotation, a week that makes you think, eesh, if this is what we get from that rotation, it's going to be really tough to be a whole lot better than we were last year. Now, there was some encouraging stuff. I was encouraged by Singer's use of his changeup. You know, I was encouraged Lynch is doing okay overall, but not missing many bats. And that scares me, but also he's doing okay overall, you know? And so it's just one of those things that I'd like to have been more uh, encouraged by what I saw from the rotation this week. And it just wasn't as we sort of end camp, you want them to start looking ready to go. And they just don't, they don't look all that ready to go. They look kind of, and it's fastball command most of the time. It's fastball command with Lynch. It's fastball command with Singer. It's fastball command with Hernandez. It's fastball command with Coar. And you just like, man, can we find somebody who can teach these guys how to put the fastball where it needs to go? Because they don't have elite fastballs, most of them, or any of them, really. Hernandez throws really hard, but it's not elite. And so they're going to have to put it where it needs to go, or it's going to get hit around a lot. It got hit around a lot this week. If you like what you're hearing, please make sure to subscribe, rate, and review us on whatever platform you use. Subscribing, rating, and reviewing helps people find the show and helps us build a larger community. If you leave us a five-star rating and good review, 
we'll make sure to give you a shout out and read a snippet of your review on the next show. You can also follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Royals Weekly. Because this is our final episode before opening day, it's time to put our very meager amount of money where our mouths are. Money's cleaner than the other stuff you put in your mouth. Hey, <laughs> hey, uh, I was—I knew you were going to make some sort of dirty money, right? And money is filthy. Don't put it in your mouth, people. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's time to put our money where our mouths are and make some predictions. Okay, this is where we put our our reputations on the line, or, which are not great either. <laughs> yeah, uh, we're going. <laughs> We're going to use an over under format for this because Mike's a degenerate gambler. And it's the only thing he understands is like you put it in gambling terms. So get it. My Uh, wife and I actually gamble on the over under for how long wedding ceremonies take. Every time we go to a wedding, we we gamble on the over under for the ceremony. It's 188 bets off, buddy. 188 (laughs) bets off. Um, Anyway, let's start with a difficult one, Mike. We're going to do the over under for Salvador Perez over under 40 home runs for Salvador Perez this year. I honestly think it's going to be under, but I don't know that it's going to be for the like him having a bad season or anything. I think there's just some natural regression that will happen because he's only hit over 40 home runs how many times? Just one. <laughs> so uh, I think some now you'll see some natural regression, and then I think he'll probably as he's aging, I think he's going to get more days off. So you know, I would for a guy who's only hit 40 home runs one time, who has had some injury issues in the past, who plays a very uh, the position that's very difficult on a person's body, I'm going to, and, and this is like a, you can cash this already. It's going to be under, but that doesn't mean he's going to have a bad season. I'm taking the over. Of course you are. You know me, <laughs> when I gamble, man, I ride like the, the high odds or the, the long close odds. Close your I'm, eyes. And I just close my eyes happens. and throw some money down. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I'm taking the over for Salvador Perez. Listen, he, he didn't just hit over 40 home runs last year. He hit 48. And so let's say it does regress a little bit. What, he hits 41? I'll take it. I think there's a good chance he hits over because, yes, he's getting older. Yes, he plays a tough position defensively. Hopefully, but it seemed like they found a good rotation for him last year in like DHing and catching and that sort of thing. And he just wants to play all the time. So, yes, this is more about health than anything. I think if he plays in 140 games, he'll hit over 40 home runs that's really what you're making a bet on. Is he going to play over 140 games? I think he will. And so DHing some of those and catching others, but he is a horse back there and we'll just see how it ultimately shakes out. I just got faith in my boy Salvador Perez to be out there playing, playing games. Next up, we're going to Adalberto Mondesi and we're talking about playing games here too. How many games are you going to play Adalberto? We're doing over, over under 100 games for Adalberto Mondesi. Mike, what do you got? Uh, I've got the under here. But I, I'm actually quite optimistic on how healthy he stays. I think there's two things that are going against him here. One, I think Matheny's going to just sit him a bunch. You know, I think he probably, you know, you can, you can, there's 162 games. You can count out 30 of those probably. So I think you're down to 132 just from days that they give him off. And then two, I think maybe one or two 15 day DL stints and you're under 100. Boom. Yeah, it's called the IL now, but yeah, Uh, I'm going to take the over here too, because I'm a wild man. I love to just bet on the the dark horse. And so, yeah, (laughs) I'm taking Alberto Mondesi to go over. This is also like a a random variance kind of thing for me. Like he's had so many seasons where he didn't go over a hundred games found to pop up and have one, right? Like you're the reason they list the numbers on the roulette thing. Like, Hey, I know he hasn't hit ever. It's gotta be 30. It's gotta be 30. Yeah. So I'm that guy's fallacy. Yeah, that's exactly (laughs) what it is. And so, yeah, I'm going to say he's going to play more than a hundred games, not too many more, 
come on 105, you know, like that's fine. I, and I do agree that I think he's going to get heavy rotation out um, in part because of, they just have the guys to do it. They want to rest them. They think it'll prevent injury. And he just might have some struggles at times where he just gets some more. He's a very up and down player anyway. And so he might get some bench time anyway, but I think he's going to stay healthy enough to play more than hundred games. How many games do you think he needs to play to, to make it valuable to continue to have him or even think about keeping him long-term? Keeping him long-term. I don't well, know. know that I, mean. that, I don't know the number of games he plays this year actually impacts that much because he has such a track record of getting hurt and being inconsistent. But if he comes out and plays 120 games, I think you say, maybe we consider keeping him on. We can't offer him the world or anything, but he would still be valuable to have. Maybe another team actually shows interest in him. If he can play 120 games this year, because you know, he, that's going to, that's going to get you a decent war total for him. If he, you know, hits like he should and that sort of thing. But yeah, I think 120 is the game, the mark where I'm like, if he plays more than 120, I'll be like, fantastic season for Alberto Mondesi. Now we move on to the exciting shortstop in the green. The, the man who's probably going to make his major league, almost certainly going to make his major league debut on opening day. That'll be Sir Robert Baseball, Bobby Witt Jr. We need to decide over under 800 OPS for Bobby Witt Jr. Uh, I think he's going over, and that would be obviously a tremendous rookie season. Certainly put him in the running for AL Rookie of the Year, but that's where I think he's going to be. There will be a point in the season, early in the season probably, where he struggles, and he'll move through that, and he'll be fine. And I think he, I think he, I'm going over because I love him and I want to touch him and hold him. <laughs> Here's why I think he's not going to struggle early in the season. There are going to be some things for him that help him stay confident. Bobby Wood Jr. can get a lot of infield hits because Bobby Wood Jr. is really fast, and so his little dinks and squeakers and, and things like that. Some of those are going to turn into hits. And when you're getting hits, you stay confident. And so he's also going to put a lot of balls in play. I think his on-base percentage is not going to be the thing that carries his OPS. It's going to be his slugging percentage because he hits the ball really hard. He turns a lot of singles into doubles and he hits the ball over the fence. And so his, I could see him having something like a 330 OBP, nothing too impressive, or even a 320 OBP and a 500 slugging because He's just going to hit a lot of home runs and a lot of doubles and a lot of triples. He's going to have a lot of extra base hits because when you have power and speed, that's what you have. Right. And so I don't think he's going to struggle that much early. I think the thing that will be struggling for him is that he won't have a huge walk rate early in the year. I think he'll be anxious and excited and want to swing all the time, which we've seen from him a lot in spring training. And he's going to put a lot of balls in play, but that's going to sort of hurt his walk rate a little bit until he gets a little more patient, a little more comfortable. But he is going to hit, you know, ducks and, and squeakers and little dribbling ground balls. All those are going to turn into hits for him because he's so fast. And that keeps your confidence up. That keeps you hitting at the major league level. Next on the OPS list, and I was most curious about this one in some ways, Hunter Dozier. The a lot of people are saying a lot of people every year people predict his bounce back season. He's looked really good this spring. You know, we have excuses for why he didn't hit last year and on so on and so forth. My thumb, over, my thumb <laughs> over under 750 OPS for Hunter Dozier. You know, I the Royals really need him to, to be over, but I think he's done that one time in his career. And actually, I don't even know if he was over that, he was around that. I think he's going under. My my logic brain says he's going under. But boy, I really hope he goes over, not just because I want good things for Hunter Dozier and I want good things for the Royals, but because I think the Royals, I think the spring is not an app. I don't think it's a fluke. I think he's actually making better swings, making better contact. I think they're going to put him in advantageous situations to hit against lefties likely that he can handle. 
And I think, uh, yeah, I think he ends up bouncing back. There's not as much pressure on him because we got some other guys who can hit. So uh, I'm really hoping I'm wrong here because I'm going under. I'm going to go over because I believe in what I've seen from him this spring. And what I've seen from him in the spring is taking what he can get at the plate. When he he put he's putting the ball in play and getting singles, he's hitting doubles off the wall. Like it doesn't look like he's trying to swing and hit a 10 run home run with every swing he's hitting. It doesn't look like he's out there with the weight of the world on his shoulders. He's having good at bats. He's working counts and he's putting the ball in play hard. That's all he needs to do. He's not going to ever be a 950 OPS guy because he doesn't have the power. He doesn't have the hand coordination. He doesn't walk enough, but I think he can be over a 750 OPS guy because he hits it hard enough to get some singles through the, through the infield to hit balls into gaps and get doubles. So I think he's going to come out with an OPS over 750, which the Royals really need if he's going to be a, like primarily a DH. Yeah. And I think he'll be right around there. I just think it's likely he's more likely to be just under there than he is just over there. Yeah. We'll, we'll do one more offensive player for this. And that's going to be Nicky Lopez bust out season last year. He hit 300, got some good fortune with his batting average on balls in play. Mike, is he going to go over or under hitting 270 as a bat or 275 over under 275 as a batting average for Nicky Lopez? I'm going to say under, but I even put in, in uh, parentheses here, barely. I think 275 is about exactly where he hits this year, um, which if he's walking at the rate that he can, We'll still be good. We'll still be fine with that. He, if he plays the level of defense that we know he can, 275 and a 320 OBP, I'll take it. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking more like a three, two, I'm, I'm under as well. I think he's going to go under 275, but right around the 270 to 275 range. I think it's going to be barely as well. And I think it's going to be in the 330 range for an OBP. I th- I'd like to see him around 270, 275. 330 OBP. I don't really care what a slugging is because it's not going to be impressive at all. Um, and then play gold glove defense at second. And he's a very valuable player. And so, yeah, it'll be great if he can come out with a season like that. It'd be even better if the, you know, batting average on ball and play gods favor him again, and he can push that up to 280, 290. That'd be fantastic. But it's not just luck. Maybe he, there's something about him that makes his bat bit higher. Um, we'll see. But I, if he could put together a season where he's just around 270, 275, I'd be happy. But I do think he's going to go under. 275 for this year moving on to the pitchers now the people who are actually going to really determine the success of this team as we've said before the starting rotation especially they're really what's going to make this team sink or swim so let's look at brady singer the aforementioned who knows what he's going to offer brady singer over under 425 for an era next season or this season my head says over my heart says under I'm going with Listen my heart to on your this heart. One. Yeah, Exactly. <laughs> when, <laughs> I don't know. When Brady Singer's calling for you. Yeah, there we go. Uh, and I'll sing that to him if uh, I he has if I have to. If if he gives me under four, I'll sing that to him. But no, I want him to go under. I hope if he really the the fix here, if he is comfortable throwing the changeup, which it looks like he is more comfortable in spring training, fix the fastball command, and you've got a guy who can be a very competent starter. So I'm, I'm going to hope that that's going to happen and that he stays healthy and goes under. Yeah. I'm going to say under two, because if they fix his fastball command, I think he's an under four ERA guy. I think that that changeup has done so much for him in the starts that I've seen. It's been incredible. And so if he can fix that fastball command, the changeup's not great right now. It's probably a 45 grade pitch, but it's so, it does so much to add variety to his repertoire that it's helping him so much. And so if he can get that 
fastball command under control, I think he's under four, let alone under 4.25. So hopefully cross him up. Brady Singer finds a way to locate that fastball because that new changeup is really, really helping him. Another 2018 draftee starting pitcher, Jackson Kowar, will be our next uh, candidate. I don't know who we're next pitcher we're talking about. Uh, over under 15 starts for Jackson Kowar this year. I think it's going to be under. Um, but now that you're saying it, I'm switching mine. I'm switching. I'm switching to over. <laughs> He's a wild I card. Think, I know. It, it's tough for me because you have to sit back and think, okay, what are the situations where Jackson Kowar is going to get a start at the major league level, right? If you assume that Lynch is ahead of him and Hernandez obviously now is ahead of him. You can, we know that because he's in that first series and singers ahead of him, which we're assuming that as well. Um, where does he get those starts? So he may get one or two in kind of a rotational thing in the first couple months of the season. But if they cut back to when they cut back to 26, does he stay in major league baseball? Probably. I'm going to say probably on that one, <laughs> but I do think at some point, you know, you'll have an injury. You'll have, you'll have multiple injuries. And if he's even that first guy up to make starts in that situation, I think he gets to 15. Yeah. I went ahead and put under, but I think it's just going to be barely. I think he's going to get in the 12, 13 start range because what you said, pitching injuries happen. And so he'll be the first guy up if he's not in this rotation. And when he is, you know, he's going to get 15 starts if he does it well, if he does well enough and he does it for long enough. And so, yeah, I think, I think he's got that walk rate under control. I, that's what really killed him last year when he came up is that like he was uncharacteristically walking a lot of people for him. He can't walk people because he's going to get hit a little bit. His fastball is not good enough to not give up hits. He just has to keep other guys off the bases. And so if he, if he limits those walks, he'll be okay. And I think he will. And I think he'll end up making around 12 to 13 starts, but I don't think he's going to make it over 15. Uh, so I went under for Jackson Kowar. I want to get some bullpen guys in here too. One bullpen guy to be specific. And that's still want to get some bullpen guy in here, some bullpen guy in here. We, we're going to talk about the one really exciting bullpen guy. And that's Dylan Coleman. I'm really excited to see what he's going to do with a full major league season. I think he's going to make the team out of spring training over under three ERA for Dylan Coleman. Um, I absolutely love Dylan Coleman too. And the stuff that he has, we haven't seen him much this spring. No, where's he um, been? I don't know what the deal is, why they haven't put him out there very much. I, I really don't know the answer to that. Uh, I hope it's not something sad, but over under three, I absolutely love Dylan Coleman, but I'm going over. And that's strictly because of how hard it is to have an under three ERA in major league baseball. Very, very difficult to do. Even, you know, Barlow doesn't often go under three and Stalmont. I don't know if he's ever gone under three. I don't think he, he went under three last year. Uh, did he? Yeah, I think so. Are you sure? Don't want to talk. Outside, We're going to fact check this We're sure, Yeah. Uh, normally, you know, we're not you to sing, listen to your heart. Well, he normally we're normally we're not big into facts, but, you know, I guess we'll take a look we're, at what Stamont did last year. <laughs> uh, yeah. 2.88 ERA for Stamont. Last OK, year. still, I just don't think Dylan Coleman's coming up very first year going to throw under three ERA. It's very hard to do. Uh, does he have the stuff to do it for sure? And I think he will at some point in his career, but I, I don't think so. No. Okay, I'm going to go under three because I'm not a coward. And so I think Dylan Coleman has the stuff. I think he'll have the opportunities. He's also not going to be pitching always against the best parts of teams' lineups because, you know, they're going to save those for Stamont and Barlow and all those guys. And so I think he's going to feast on, you know, six, seven, eight, nine hitters. On the back end of the Guardians lineup. And yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think he's going to feast on the back end of the Guardians lineup. And so, yeah, Coleman, I think, is going under as a, as a three as an ERA. 
looking at the Royals as a whole, I want, we're going to start talking about uh, the Royals as a whole to get to our record predictions. Uh, over under 15th in Major League Baseball and runs scored per game. Now, to be clear here, over means better than 15th. So are they going to be over or under 15th in runs scored per game, Mike? I think they're going to be over. Uh, I don't think they're going to be way over 15th because there are some still big question marks in this lineup. I know they've looked great in spring training, but you still have Michael A. Taylor batting regularly in there. You still have Carlos Santana getting regular bats in there. You still have Hunter Dozier, who's a coin flip. You still have Ryan O'Hearn, who's going to get at bats. You know, so uh, I, I don't, uh, I don't think they'll be way above there, but I like the potential of the lineup. I do. See, I think I'm going to go over two, and it's main, mostly based on the fact that I think Prado, Melendez, and maybe Pasquantino debut in the second half, and that actually pushes them a little bit up. And so I think they're going to end up in between 10 and 15, but over 15 in runs scored per game. And I think, you know, all they need, they need some things to go right, but I think some of those things are going to go right. I think Dozier's going to hit a little bit. I think Montessi's going to hit a little bit, not tremendously, but a little bit. I think Bobby Witt Jr. is going to do well. And if all those things go well, I think they're going to score a lot of runs pitching wise, defense wise, or we'll say run prevention wise, that might be a little more shaky. Mike over under 15th in MLB and runs allowed per game to be clear again, above 15 is over below 15 is under. Yeah. Right now. I still, I still got to go under here. I would love to say, Hey, and again, this is, there's so many question marks in this starting rotation. You just can't know, you know, but if you're going by track records that they've had so far, it does not look promising. <laughs> it doesn't. Um, and the defense obviously looks very promising. If, yeah. if it were mm-hmm. like, oh, is this a question about their defensive run safe? No, this is about run prevention. And the pitching is the thing that looks like it's going to hold them back. And so I got to go under too. I don't think they're going to be above 15th right now. My brain says they're not going to. My heart right now just wants to say they're going to win the AL Central and go to the World Series. But Breakout years from Daniel yeah, Lynch and Singer yeah, and yeah, all of them. Yeah. If, you, if you're counting on all those things going right, you're you know living in fantasy land. And so I think they're going to be under in runs allowed per game under 15 they're 15th in the league or in, in all of major league baseball i will say this though if they can be somewhere between 15th and 20th in runs given up mm-hmm. i'm okay with that they might end <laughs> up being an average bad. team then yeah, right? yeah. they might end up being now, able to win some close games with a if, good bullpen yeah if they're 30th we're gonna we're gonna be in trouble oh for 30th we're talking about blow it up and start another rebuild so let's not <laughs> hope that's the case um uh now this leads us all to sort of culminating two questions the number of wins the Royals are going to have this year, Mike over under 78 and a half wins for the Royals this year. I'm going over. Got to be optimistic, with his heart. right? Yeah. Got to be optimistic. He's listening if, to his heart. Now If people. I see them get over 78 and a half wins. I can then go, okay, we're on the right track. If I see the number of wins they had last year or less, which I think was 74, mm-hmm. I will be crushed. <laughs> I will be extremely depressed. And uh, yeah, it'll be, I'm going over too. It'll be my fault. I'm going over too, because I think they're going to make it. I think they're going to put together a decent year. I think they've got a team that's constructed in such a way that yes, has weaknesses. Yes. Has flaws, but can win some games and especially close games with that bullpen. And so, and the defense that they have. And so there are going to be some games that they eke out that they from defense and bullpen and their bullpen and their defense are really going to cover up a little bit of a subpar rotation. And I think that will get them to around 500. And so I'm going over with 78 and a half wins. I think they're going to get it over. And that will bring me to my record prediction. I think they're going to win 79 games. I'm going just over. Uh, I think they're going to be 79 and 83 at the end of the year. And I'll call that a very good year for them and, and progress and headed in the right direction. 
Um, and I think our predictions last year were a game or two off. Oh yeah. We were we one were game not, off. Yeah. One game off. Yeah. We were very close. Cause I think we had the same, pretty much the same, uh, or no way that might be wrong. Cause I thought, I, I want to say we predicted like 77 wins. We were just a few games off. Yeah. It wasn't much. Um, I'm going one game better than you. I think 80 and 82 is kind of the, and I kind of picked that cause it seems kind of generic and it's round to me. Um, 80 and 82, uh, for that, I think they're going to win a lot of games, eight to six, to be honest with yeah. you, uh, stuff like that. So, and which is cool. Fun offensive baseball. I'm down for that. But yeah, 80 and 82. I'll be really happy with that. I cannot have under 74. Our preview section will consist of two pieces for this episode, a lineup prediction and a preview of the opening series against the Cleveland Guardians. We'll start with the super official chiseled in stone Royals weekly lineup projection. Mike, if you would please do the honors. Well, batting first and playing right field, we have Whit Merrifield. Batting second, the superstar, Sir Robert Baseball, Bobby Witt Jr. at third base. Andrew Benintendi in left field, batting third. Salvador Perez, our hero, our savior, at catcher, batting fourth. Carlos Santana at first base and batting fifth. Hunter Dozier in the DH spot and batting sixth. The oft-injured but certainly lovable Adalberto Mondesi playing shortstop and hitting seventh. And then Matt Michael A. Taylor in center field, batting eighth. And our second leadoff guy, Nicky Lopez, at second base in the nine hole. How are you feeling about that lineup? Uh, I, you know, I, I got some problems with it. Andrew Benintendi batting third. Now, I realize that a lineup doesn't really matter all that much. But I, I you could slide Benintendi down this lineup, and I'd be just fine with it. If he was batting, say, fifth or sixth, and I'm, why is Carlos Santana still in there at all? You know, I've got some really some roster problems with it, but, uh, you know, overall, eh, it's whatever. I think it's a lineup that's going to surprise a lot of people. Now, I know Ben Benintendi hitting third is probably not what you would call ideal all the time, but he is a left-handed bat. They're trying to get in between two right-handed bat, at bat or batters, and that's fine if they're, if they're interested in doing that. That's probably all lineup construction really matters for anyway. Um, as we can say, like, it doesn't matter that much how your lineup is constructed, but in terms of talent, I think there's a lot of offensive and athletic talent in this lineup, top to bottom. And that's what I'm really looking at. Is it a deep lineup? I think it is a deep lineup. And I think that's what really matters to run production. I think it's deep with potential. Yeah. But there's also some potential for some disaster in here. If Santana and Dozier and Mondesi don't have vastly better years than what they had last year, you're talking about four spots in that lineup because Michael A. Taylor just is what he is that are nothings well yeah think about the vast potential for growth too i put this out the other day but something like six of the nine spots in the royals lineup had ops's or had weighted runs created pluses last year of 80 or less right and so yeah from six of the positions on the field if you include dh right and so and dh first third and right field all had ops's or all had um weighted run created plus of less than 80 and so that's 20, more than 20% below league average for four of the most offensive positions on the field the Royals had last year. Now look at those positions. Third base is going to be Bobby Baseball. I'm guessing that's going over 100 weighted runs created plus. He's going to be better than average, I would imagine. DH, that's up to 100 Dozier to be better. But you know what? I think he's going to be a little bit better, and he's going to be better than Jorge Soler was for us last year. So I think that's likely to improve. Right field, that'll be Whit Merrifield now. That's probably going to get better, right? And then you'll at least be around average, you would imagine. And then first base, we'll see. Santana, I don't think he's going to be great, but you expect that to be Nick Prado for the second half of the year. And so we'll see on that one. But 
I think they're definitely going to improve offensively from last year because they were just so bad at times last year. Hopefully they can start that improvement in the very first series against a team that really is not looking to win. It looks like that's the Cleveland guardians. Uh, they're looking their payroll is going to be in the basement this year. They did absolutely nothing to improve their team. Let's talk a little bit about what it's going to be like in that first series. The guardians are of course, zero and zero. They have not played a game yet. The opening day is going to be Zach Greinke versus Shane Bieber. Bieber started 16 games last year. He had some injuries, but he was still great in the games he did pitch. He had a 3.17 ERA and a 1.21 whip. Bieber's a guy, won the, won the Cy Young Award in 2020. Phenomenal pitcher. He's four-seam fastball, curveball slider mostly. Uh, the four-seam fastball is not all that fast. He'll throw at 93, but he can really locate. He has great secondary stuff, great movement yeah. on that secondary stuff. Uh, he'll occasionally throw a changeup and a cutter, but not very often. It's that slider and that curve that are really, really dangerous for him. We don't have probables beyond that first game for the Guardians, but of course we know it'll be Keller, Bubich, and then Hernandez for the Royals. This is a really, really bad lineup for Cleveland. They've done virtually nothing to improve it. They spent the offseason just hanging out and uh, and not trading, uh, what's his name, Jose Ramirez. Ramirez yeah. And so it's basically the same lineup they had last year. It is not going to score a lot of runs this year. The Royals really should take advantage of this opening series. I'd like to see them get two wins this week and then three out of the four game set total. They have a couple games that go into next week. And yeah, so I'm hoping for, for a couple, for a winning series against the Cleveland. Yeah, we're singing the same song we did last year. After Ramirez and Fran Mil Reyes, this team has nothing offensively. But against, you know, Shane Bieber always going to give you a chance to win. We'll end this episode like we end every episode with our Just a Bit Outside segment. For those of you who are new to the podcast, the Just a Bit Outside segment is where Mike and I discuss something that is interesting to us outside the world of baseball. Mike, what is interesting to you outside the world of baseball this week? Lawn care. Okay. Ooh, very uh, exciting. Yeah. <laughs> I live in the suburbs and, you know, there's this whole like suburban stereotype that people love taking care of their lawns. I don't like taking care of my yard. I'm too cheap to pay somebody else to do it. So I do it. But like, it's just a constant thing, you know, and it, it, it shouldn't be complicated, but to me, for some reason it is like to actually keep a lawn healthy and to make it look halfway decent. It's tough. And I hate it, but that's starting up again. So I got to mow and I uh, got to do all that other stuff. And, and I'm not looking forward to it. Um, so I think I've, I've told my wife that down the road at some point, we're going to move in somewhere where like you pay an HOA and they mow for you. They take care of all your lawn stuff. That means a townhouse. That means a condo. I don't know, but I am so tired of taking care of the trees and the bushes that you usually have to help me with and the, and mowing that I, yeah, I'm done. I'm done with it. It's the only bad thing about this time of year. Mike is done with lawn care. And I know, and this is the messed up thing. Like, I know a lot of dudes that are like, oh, I love mowing my yard. First off, none of them use a push mower. Every single one of them uses a ride mower. And it's like, why? You like just like, sitting there? No offense to anybody listening to this, but how, how, what's going on in the rest of your life if like lawn care is the thing you're looking forward to? <laughs> Honestly, it's like you can do better. You can do better. Like call Mike and I, email Mike and I, royalsweeklypod at gmail.com, and we will give you things to do that are better than mowing lawns. Gambling. Mike loves it. Um, you know, you say something. Mike loves it. You love gambling. Oh yes. I also love gambling. To be clear. I also love gambling. Uh, um, so I think what Mark and I are trying to say is gamble. <laughs> don't, don't mow your don't lawn. Mow your don't gamble instead. There we go. Oh uh, uh, yeah. There are going to be a lot of happy spouses out there. Um, 
for my just a bit outside this week, I'm talking about a book I started listening to. It's called The World Turned Upside Down, A History of the Chinese Cultural Revolution. I just started listening to it, and it is amazingly interesting, fascinating. If you don't know a lot about this time period in China, it's a very interesting thing to read about. It's essentially Mao Zedong, the former communist leader of China, decided that the bureaucracy of China was steering too far away from the tenets of communism and tried to sort of lead this big reform movement that kind of backfired on him. And he kind of turned on the people who they were supporting him. And it's a very weird thing. But what is most interesting about it to me are the crazy, insane parallels that I see between this moment and what's happening in the United States right now. So maybe this is always the case when you read or listen to history books as you start drawing parallels between your current moment and the past. But some of them are freaky how like how many parallels there are taking place. I'm talking about like the banning of certain books. I'm talking about like policies that hurt specific cultural groups of people like things like this that are criticism of, of, of education systems and things like that. Really, really, really interesting. The parallels that I'm seeing in this book, really scary, the parallels I'm seeing in this book, but it is a very interesting listen. So if you ever get a chance to read it or to read about the time period or listen to an audiobook about it, I highly recommend it. Fantastic book. So uh, yeah, if you get a chance go out there and give it a listen, give it a read. It's written by somebody who lived through the moment in China, a historian who lived through that time yeah, there in China. And it was, it's really, really amazing. Well, that's all we have this week. We will talk more about lawn care and the cultural revolution in some other episode, I'm sure. Uh, but for now, we're going to call it an episode. It's been a long one, too long, probably. Uh, Mike and I are actually going to get out to the second game of the series against the Guardians. So we'll give you some live look. Make sure to follow us on Twitter and Facebook. We are tweeting all the time. We're putting out Facebook content, a lot of extra stuff that we do on there. So if you want to see more analysis, see more GIFs, videos, and things like that, follow us on Twitter and Facebook. But until next time, be good to each other. And go Royals. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.